0: that very few Christians grasp all that God lavishes on them in Christ. I'm fairly certain that I struggle to grasp all that God gives me through this relationship that I have with His Son in the first century paul understood that he understood that christians would struggle to wrap their minds and hearts around the spiritual blessings that are ours as children of god and so it seems that in this letter that we call the book of ephesians paul is taking special pains at the very beginning to remind these Christians in Ephesus all that is theirs. In fact, in verses 3 through 14, there is a long run-on sentence, 202 words in the Greek language, where Paul just keeps reminding them of their spiritual blessings. He, He wants these Christians, and the Lord wants us, to further grasp something of the lavished love of God for us. Now I want us to see this this morning in Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to focus specifically on our inheritance as Christians. Ephesians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 11, and go down through verse 12. Ephesians 1, verses 11 and 12. When you found your place, I want to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Ephesians 1, verse 11, Paul writes, In Him, in Christ, we have obtained... Now look at this next word an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together this morning. Father, I pray that you would open the eyes of our hearts today by the power and presence of your Spirit, that we would grow in our comprehension of what it means that we as Christians have an inheritance. God, I pray that you would move in our midst in a striking manner, Lord, I I, I pray that you would take our breath away as we gaze upon Christ and, and think about what it means to be rightly related to you, what it means to be children of God. May your name be glorified in this place. It's all about you. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you. And we offer you this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The theme of the book of Ephesians is simple yet profound. The theme is that we experience God's grace in Christ, which saves us, unites us with other believers, and strengthens our Christian walk. And this book called Ephesians really divides into two sections very evenly. Chapters 1 through 3 deal with our wealth in Christ, as J. Sidlow Baxter says. And in the first three chapters, Paul wants us to to further grasp all that is ours as Christians. Uh, Chapters 4 through 6 deal with our walk with Christ, the way we ought to live in response to all that God has done and is doing. And as I said, this long run-on sentence in verses 3 through 14 of chapter 1 is meant to convey all the spiritual blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. We've been taking them one at a time. We've seen that in Christ, He chose us. He adopted us. He forgave us. He made known to us the mystery of His will. And this morning we're going to see that He He gives us an inheritance. Next week, we'll look at the last spiritual blessing in this sentence, which is he seals us by the Holy Spirit. But this morning, I want to talk to you about what it means that that he gave us an inheritance. And there are just really uh, two major aspects of our inheritance that I want you to see in these two verses. First of all, I want you to think with me about the gift. The gift. The gift. Look what it says there back in verse 11. In him, in Christ, we have obtained an inheritance. In him, we have obtained an inheritance. Now, every spiritual blessing that he gives us in this long run-on sentence is connected to the phrase in him or in Christ. In other words, these are blessings that are those uh, that are for, for those that know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. These are blessings for those who are Christians, followers of Jesus. So this inheritance it says is in him. Only in Christ do we obtain this inheritance. Now that phrase we have obtained an inheritance. It's, only, it's really just one word in the original Greek language. It's, it's a compound word, and, and, and it's a hopox legomena, which means it's only used one time in the New Testament. And I just want to impress you by saying hopox legomena. It's only used one time in the New Testament. So it's a special word that Paul uses here in this text. And the word literally means... "...to determine, to choose, or to assign by lot." It was used in the first century uh, for the custom of assigning portions of land by casting lots. It has the meaning of that which is assigned. Uh, it, it spoke of the possession of a portion of land. So this word, uh, again, carries with it the idea of inheritance, inheritance that which someone gives another as their portion or their right. Now, this phrase could read one of two ways. It could read that we have become an inheritance. In other words, we belong to God. Or it could read we have obtained an inheritance. That's how the ESV translates this Greek word. Uh, But based upon the theme of this passage, which is spiritual blessings— it would seem that we have obtained an inheritance would fit better. Now, both statements are true. We are God's portion. We belong to Him. uh, But also, in Christ, we have been given an inheritance. And this word, inheritance... This idea that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance speaks of all that is ours in Christ. That's what inheritance speaks of. As a Christian, if you know Christ, God gives you an inheritance. He's given you everything uh, that uh, is yours based upon your relationship with Jesus. Now, this idea of spiritual inheritance speaks of several realities. First of all, it speaks of family. In In our day and time... When we think about inheritance, we most naturally think about family inheritance, right? That that, that someone who passes away leaves for their children or their children's children uh, property or or financial resources or whatever the case may be, they they leave an inheritance. And this idea of, of Christians obtaining an inheritance makes us think of family. In fact, earlier in this Chapter, verse 5, it says, in Christ we've been adopted. We become children of God. We just sing about it. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. We're, We're children of God. And so when we become Christians, we become a part of the family of God. God becomes our Father. We become His children. And as children of our Heavenly Father, we get an inheritance. In fact, listen to what it says over in 1 Peter Chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again. We've We've been reborn into the family of God. He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Listen, to obtain an inheritance. Part of being born again means the Father gives an inheritance to his children. So this word makes us think about family. My father is fond of telling me often that he's spending my inheritance right now. And he really is. But our mind naturally thinks about family. And if you are a Christian You are a child of God, and that means there is a family inheritance from the Father meant for you. Secondly, this word speaks of a guarantee. Look back in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance. Now, that word, that compound word translated obtained an inheritance is in the aorist tense, which means uh, simple past tense. That's that's how this word is written in the original Greek language. And in Greek writings, it was customary when something was a sure thing, something that was to come was a sure thing, to refer to it in the past tense. So in, in the first century, Greeks would speak of something yet to come in simple past tense, as if to say, it's such a sure thing that I'm going to refer to it as having already happened. It was the Greek grammatical way of saying it's a certainty. It is a sure thing. It is a guarantee. And we're going to see that this inheritance is something that is future tense. There's aspects that are in the now, but, but a lot of our inheritance will be received in the future. And yet Paul uses a tense here to say, we already have it, which is his way of saying this inheritance that God gives his children is such a certainty. It's as if it's already transpired. It's a guarantee if you are a child of God, this inheritance that God has for you is yours. And listen, nothing can change that. It's yours. It belongs to you. It's a guarantee. Third, this word speaks of a gift. A gift. It says there, we have obtained an inheritance. We've been given an inheritance. Over in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 15, the writer of Hebrews says that those who have been called may listen to this word, receive the promise of eternal inheritance. In other words, this inheritance that God has for his children is not something you earn. It's a gift of grace that you simply receive. It's a gift. If my dad passes away before I do, that's not a sure thing, but if he does, and my brother and I, we look at his will. He's told us all about his will. He's got everything in order, everything ready to go. And, and, and we, we look at his estate, and it's divided up between me and my brother. And if I get anything, if he doesn't spend all of it, if I get anything from his estate, it won't be because, it won't be because I did anything to earn it. He's the one that earned it. He's the one that lived his life and saved his money, and, and, and he, he would simply be giving it to me and my brother as a gift. And it's the same way with our spiritual inheritance it's not something we earn or acquire through good behavior. Listen, it is simply yours in Christ. You say, I don't deserve that, Pastor Wade. I don't either. That's what makes it so extraordinary. That's, listen, that's what makes it amazing grace, right? It's an inheritance that is undeserved for his children. So this idea of inheritance speaks of family and guarantee and, and a gift, but, but finally it speaks of something waiting for you and something waiting for me. Again, some of our spiritual inheritance— Some of our spiritual blessings are given to us now. Things like forgiveness, things like adoption. Those are ours now. We enjoy those now. But there is a large part of our inheritance waiting for us that we have not acquired or received yet. Look what it says in verse 14, and we'll we'll deal with this next week. But he mentions there, verse 14, that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee of our what? What's the word? Inheritance. Until we acquire possession of it. So that verse seems to indicate that whatever this inheritance is, we haven't received it in full yet. We're, we're waiting till that day when we, we acquire all of it. And the Holy Spirit's presence in our life is proof positive we will receive it one day. But this inheritance is, is something that is in the future tense for us. Listen to how Peter says it over in First Peter chapter 1. He says that those who are in Christ, those that have been born again to a living hope, will obtain an inheritance, uh, verse 4 of 1 Peter 1, will obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and, uh, listen, Whatever your earthly inheritance is from your family or loved ones, it's perishable. I promise you that. This inheritance is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. And listen to this phrase, reserved in heaven for you. Here's what that means. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have been born again, if you are saved... There is something God has for you that's waiting for you in heaven. It's been set aside just for you. That's pretty exciting, isn't it? It's for you. Reserved in heaven for you. So this phrase, we've obtained an inheritance, speaks to that which is yet to come. Now what does this mean? What is waiting in heaven for us. First of all, there's incomparable beauty waiting in heaven for us, right? The Bible speaks of God ushering in the new heavens and the new earth over in Revelation chapter 21. And the centerpiece of that new heaven and that new earth is the, the new Jerusalem, which is this city that is stunning in its beauty. We read about things like transparent streets of gold and these, these gates made out of a, a single pearl. And we read about the different, the different uh, jewels that will be used to decorate the walls and, and, and we just can't fathom what this new heaven and new earth will be like. We know it will be a place of incomparable beauty, the incomparable beauty that we will behold. Also, think about what's waiting for us. There's the special place that we will inhabit. The special place that we will inhabit. Over in John 14, Jesus encourages his disciples to not be troubled. He knows that he's about to die on the cross and, and then defeat death through his resurrection. But then he knew that after a, a short time on earth, he would ascend back to the Father before returning one day. And here's what he says to his disciples. I'm going back to the Father. And when I go, I'm listen, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And then he says that, where I am, you may be also. And listen, when I'm going to come back and, and bring you to that place, i See receive you to myself, Jesus says in John 14. His point is this. Between his ascension and his second coming, which we're living in right now, Jesus is preparing a special place for his followers. So wait, what will it be like? I have no clue. The old King James says it'll be... There will be mansions. He's preparing a mansion for us in glory. The the literal Greek is something like many rooms or or special places, special spaces. But here's what I know. If the King of kings and Lord of lords is taking special effort to prepare a special place for you and for me, it's going to be something. Amen? Amen? So part of our inheritance, I believe, is this this special place that we get to inhabit. So when we get there, come see my place, all right? I'll come see your place. That'll be part of what we do in heaven. Be like, wow, what a place. This also speaks of the earthly relationships we will enjoy. I, I believe that part of our inheritance is we will be reunited with our saved loved ones. As the old song says, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. I've got some loved ones. You've got some loved ones. And a very special part of heaven is going to be, I get to see them again. I've lost them in this life. They they passed away, stepped into eternity, but they're in Christ one day, one day, we will embrace and we will spend joyful time together. And we will enjoy those relationships again. Amen? Part of our inheritance. These, these earthly relationships that were broken by death that we will enjoy once again. I believe also as we think about what's waiting for us, it speaks of the perfect wholeness we will experience. The Bible speaks of Jesus coming back. When Jesus comes back, our our bodies that have been put into graves will be raised incorruptible. In other words, when our bodies are raised from the grave, He'll give us brand new glorified bodies. And at that moment, our soul will be united with our new body and will we'll, we'll reside in heaven, in the new heavens, and the new earth, in that new body forever. So think about all the things that corrupt and destroy here on this earth. Diabetes and cancer and heart disease and COVID. And we go on and on and on. Tragic car accidents. We could go on and on the the things that disrupt us in this life because we live in, in bodies that are decaying. We live in weakness. We are mortal. But one day we get a body that will never perish. A brand new glorified body. And we will experience that. In heaven, we will enjoy perfect wholeness. But there's also the unbroken fellowship that we will delight in. Heaven will be beautiful, reunion with our loved ones will be amazing. Our new bodies will be incredible. But the most important thing about heaven is we will experience unbroken fellowship and communion with God Himself. Our faith becomes sight. And we get to rest and rejoice in the presence of King Jesus. Wow. We get him. Ultimately, he's the inheritance. He's our portion. He's our prize. He's our delight. We get him. No longer we'll be pulled away by the lust of our flesh or harassed by wily Satan, or bombarded by the messages and ungodliness of this world, we will have unfettered, unbroken, uninterrupted communion with God. That's what we get in heaven. We get him. We get him! And by the way, the context of all of this Incomparable beauty, restored relationships, glorified bodies, the presence of God. The context of all of this is, listen, eternity. It will never come to an end. Perfect joy, perfect delight, full happiness, and it never ends. It just increases more and more and more. I can't even wrap my mind around that, but the Bible tells us it's true. We sang about it this morning, didn't we? When we've we've been there... 10,000 years bright shining as the sun we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. 10,000 years in heaven, we're just getting started. Can I get an amen? Wow. Inheritance. It's forever. It never ends. It's eternal. And it's waiting for us in heaven. One of the Older members of the church I grew up in, his name was Buddy Grantham. He and his wife, Miss Inez, lived right beside the church. They had a house right beside the church, and they kind of, you know, oversaw and took care of things at the, the church building. And uh, Mr. Buddy, as I lovingly called him, loved to sing. And let me just tell you, he couldn't sing. I mean, it, it, I mean just he wasn't, he didn't have a great voice. But he would sing specials. And it was moving because he was singing from his heart. It didn't sound good. But oh, he'd, he'd, he'd sing And every time he'd get up and sing for the church, he'd end in tears. Because he felt what he was singing. And, and one of the songs he loved to sing was I'll Fly Away. I think almost every time he ended in I'll Fly Away. And, and I was thinking about that song, I'll Fly Away. And I thought about this line. Just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. Listen, to a land where joy shall never end. I'll fly away. You know why we will experience unending joy in heaven? Because of our inheritance waiting for us. It's good news. So we've talked about the gift, this inheritance we've obtained in Christ. But secondly, very quickly, I want to talk about the giver. The giver. We dare not discuss the gift without reminding ourselves who the giver is. Look what it says in verse 11. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. This inheritance comes from him. It comes from the Lord. It comes from our great God. I want want you to see three things about this God who gives an inheritance. First of all, his plan. It says there in verse 12 that he's predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. In other words, this this plan of God which results in sinners getting saved and going to heaven and receiving an inheritance is all part of his plan. And the word predestined means to mark out the boundaries beforehand and before the foundations of time, God knew that you and I would need a savior and God had a plan of salvation in place. He predetermined it all and and Jesus was the plan. Jesus left heaven, came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose from the grave. And because of his death and burial and resurrection, because he's defeated sin and death, any sinner who places their trust in him can be forgiven and reconciled to a holy God. Amen? It's good news. That's the plan. And it says there that he predetermined it all. He, he set it in place. And part of his predestination, part of his predetermination, part of the, the, the boundaries he marked out beforehand was that if you are a Christian, you get an inheritance. That's his plan. But notice his power. It says there that he predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. That word works is an interesting word. In the Greek, it's the word energeo. It's where we get the word energy from. So it speaks of God overseeing his plan, executing his plan with boundless energy to see it come to pass. So you and I can experience salvation, so that you and I can go to heaven and be there for eternity, so that you and I can experience our inheritance. He works all things after the hit, hit, the counsel, the plan of his will, his volition, his desire to save. And so his power makes possible his salvation. Because not only does God plan it, he oversees it. We talked about that a little bit last week. But then it, look at his purpose. Look in verse 12. So that, why did God give us an inheritance? Why did God have this plan of salvation in place? Why is God doing all of this? So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. God is working to save so that when it's all said and done, his name is glorified. It's all for the purpose of his glory. Now notice what Paul says there. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ, that probably speaks of the Jews. That God chose the Jews to build a great nation through whom he would send his son Jesus to come to this earth. And the gospel first went to the Jews. As Jesus did ministry there in Judea and Galilee, it expanded to the Gentile world. but, But it started with the Jews, this good news that God saves through his son Jesus Christ So he's saying there that that the Jews, the the first to hope in him would would glorify God. But aren't you glad that salvation is not just for the Jews? In fact, look what he says in verse 13. He says, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise Holy Spirit. In other words, he's talking to Gentiles in Ephesus. So, Jews, we were the first to hope in Christ, but also you Gentiles, you hope in Christ too. Salvation is for you. So here's the deal. God's ultimate purpose in saving Jews and Gentiles through his son, Jesus Christ, is that his name might be magnified. That's why he does what he does. That's why we can count on an inheritance. Because more glory will go to his name. So listen. As we celebrate the gift today, inheritance, all that's waiting for us in heaven, and we barely scratched the surface, by the way, but as we think about our gift today, let's not forget about the giver. Through the years, my wife has given me some really thoughtful presents. She, she gets me things that are just things I really wanted, or maybe something that was unexpected she surprised me with, and And uh, not one time, not one time when she's given me a gift, did I take the gift and start hugging it and saying, oh, I love you, gift. Oh, gift, I love you, I love you. Oh, man. I would look at the gift, appreciate the gift, but then I would go hug the giver. See the difference there? And I'd say, thank you for this gift. Thank you for your thoughtfulness. Thank you for blessing me. And the gift always points me to the giver. And it ought to be the same with our inheritance. It's fun to think about heaven. It's exciting to think about what eternity is going to be like, but it's, it's not ultimately about heaven. The reality of our inheritance should point us beyond the gift to the one who gives it. Amen? It should be for the glory of his great name. I can't wait to walk on streets of gold. I mean, how cool is that going to be? The Bible indicates that these, these gates of pearl will be open and people will be coming and going into the new Jerusalem, people from all different ethnicities and tribes and tongues coming and going to serve and worship Jesus. I can't imagine what it would be like to walk the streets of heaven, to walk through through gates of pearl. I want to see the place that Jesus has prepared for me. That's, that's going to be really, really extraordinary. It's so encouraging to know that that uh One day this old, decaying body will be replaced with a brand new, glorified body. Oh, that's going to be great. But let me tell you what I'm most excited about in heaven. I'm most excited about reuniting with saved loved ones. Seeing that relationship enjoyed once again. And then together, going to the throne to gaze upon the beauty of Christ. I often wonder what that moment will be like. Have you thought about that? What's it going to be like when you get to heaven and your faith becomes sight? You gaze upon the face of God for the very first time. It's common to say, I've got some questions for God when I get to heaven. No, we're not going to be asking questions, at least at first. I think we will be stunned by his majesty. And I don't know what I'll do when I see him, but probably I'll fall on my knees. As tears stream down my face, the Bible says that at that moment, a nail-scarred hand will wipe those tears from my face. And I will worship my Savior like I've never worshipped Him before. I won't be looking at my watch I'll be singing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. I'll be so grateful and excited about the gift, so, but I can't wait to be in the presence of the giver. How about you? Thank you for listening. We pray you've been encouraged and inspired by God's word. May the Lord richly bless you.